So let's just say three weeks, we're three weeks out from celebrating the resurrection again. This year is going to be wonderful and different. And, um, and, and last year it was as wonderful as we could make it. But what was happening when Jesus died uh, in that particular year when he was crucified three weeks out? I wanted to look at where, where the, the gospel takes us three weeks from uh, resurrection for in, in the story of Jesus. So that's where we're at today. We're going to just plop down in this area that is three weeks out from Jesus going to the cross. And I want to pick up some things that Jesus said and use them. And I want to bring us to a point. I just feel led of the Spirit. I don't think that you are doing something wrong. I don't feel like that the church is all messed up. I, I actually feel like that though we're good and doing well, we could always do better. And I feel like that God has better for some of us. Some of us sitting here today, you're going to move from the good to the better. And it's going to come with not all heaven falling down, although Jesus, we welcome that too. You know, but it's going to come from a decision. A decision. Let me just give you an example. When I decided to propose to, to Judy, I was prepared to say for the rest of my life, I will be faithful to one woman, and by the grace of God, I've been able to be, you know. Um, we could go into history. I don't want to do that right now, but was it always easy? It was not always easy. It's just like you and your marriages. It's, it's not always easy, but, but, but the decision had been made so long ago when I proposed to Judy. And to be honest with you, when I proposed to her, I was prepared for her to say no because I mean, like, I knew she, I knew she, I knew she kind of got me, and I knew that she kind of liked me, you know. But I was asking her to be devoted to me for the rest of my life too, you know. So, um, you know, when I sat down and asked her to marry me, there, there's a moment of like, what's she going to say? Now I know that God knows everything, but there are some today that are hearing me speak. And the Holy Spirit is literally waiting to see if you will say yes. Because it will change your life. If you say yes, it will change your life. Can we do that today? Can we just go there? I, I don't know what God is saying to the whole church. I don't know what God is saying to the whole world right now. But I know what he's speaking to me. And so let's just start there. Can we do that? Matthew 16. And then verse number uh, 21. Matthew 16, verse 21, and I'll read through the verse 28, uh, 27. Matthew 16, 21 through 27. The first sentence I read, I want you to hear it. So what I'll do is I'll reread the first part of it after I've read it because I want you to hear it again because it, it becomes crucial. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples what time from that time three weeks out what was happening at that time from that time Jesus began to show his disciples three things he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes he has to go to Jerusalem he's going to suffer and be killed 
and be raised on the third day. Okay, so I don't think that Jesus liked thinking about the process, but he had to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer. It's actually by his beating, by his stripes that were healed, right? He had to suffer, and he had to be crucified, but then he had to be resurrected. So there's four things right there. So let me just read that verse one more time in its entirety. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So it's a little bipolar. It's like, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, yay, you know. I mean, it, Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be crucified. But then hallelujah is raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. I agree. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. So in the ESV version, it says the things of God and the things of man. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. Verse 24 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, and I, I can imagine it this way. That, so this is a dialogue between Jesus and Peter, right? Because Peter takes him aside. He's like you would do with your children. It's like, I'm going to honor you and take you aside. And when he gets Jesus' aside, he rebukes Jesus. And when he rebukes Jesus, I don't know if you've ever done that. I, I have. Takes him aside and he rebukes uh, Jesus. Then Jesus rebukes Peter and confronts the spirit behind Peter at, that was motivating him at that moment is because Peter had not made a decision. There was a decision that needed to be made. And because he had not yet made this decision, uh, Peter was, uh, you know, uh, vulnerable to another spirit influencing him. So Jesus rebukes Peter and the spirit behind him. He sets the record straight, and I, I just imagine it this way, that Jesus looks up from his conversation with Peter to all the other would-be disciples that are standing at the periphery, at the edge, all the rest of them, and he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, hey, by the way, guys, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For, for what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world, forfeits his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with the angels and will then repay every man 
according to his deeds. And Jesus mentions that there's a transitional time period and some would see him coming in his glory. Maybe it's the transfiguration of Jesus. Maybe it's an event yet to occur. But I think that what is happening here, if I could just say it this way, is that Peter, he's basically saying to, to Jesus, Jesus, like, you've got a good thing going here. The, the, we, we've given up everything to follow you. All of us love you. We would die for you. We, you've, but we've got a good thing going. I, I, I know that there is some people, especially in Jerusalem, who hate you. But we, we know those guys. If we just avoid them, you know. But most everybody else in the hillside and in the countryside, they love you. And, and like, you know, you, you, you made bread for us. You know, you, we... we we have a good thing going here, Jesus. This, this can't happen. This can't end this way. And Jesus has to set the record straight and say to Peter, life is not always going to turn out the way you had hoped it to, even when following Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus is actually preparing them to understand that if you choose to follow in the more excellent way, the way of love, if you desire to go in the way of love, you're going to find that this world has a lot of something else to offer you. And there are going to be times when you will be on the high mountaintop celebrating resurrection. There's going to be other times you're going to be under the weight of confusion and not understanding where in the world God went. But it's the same God, and it's the same story, and it's the same life following Jesus. As a matter of fact, I could say that you could go most of your life and have a relatively good life, and then toward the end of your life run into a hardship that is like more than you ever imagined. And you think, I should, I should have been through that years ago, you know? I, I just want to read the fine print and whenever Jesus read the fine print, usually the crowds went away. You know, so I'm, I'm not really trying to thin the crowd out. I'm just actually trying to be honest and, and tell you that I have lived a life when I have seen God open the Red Sea. I've seen the glory of God. And, and now, as far as living in his presence, it's hard to tell living in his presence and not being in his presence. It's just so common to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm always feeling and sensing his presence that it's hard for me to remember life when I didn't feel that way. So I, I, I have a little bit of history, and you can too, but I, I will tell you that there, there have been some major bumps in the road. I mean, like he opened the Red Sea, but, you know, there was times when, you know, the Lord crashed the sea on my chariot, you know, I mean... I've experienced both. So I'm not going to lie to you. It's not always easy, but I'm going to tell you it's always best to continue to follow Jesus. No matter, so I, I just can't help but remember Paul's example when he was being shipped off to Rome uh, against his will. He's in this ship, he's in the boat, and he's uh, under chains, and, he's, and they're taking him um, to Rome. And uh, Paul goes over to the captain of the ship, and he says to them, to the captain of the ship, he said, um, 
I must tell you that the Lord has shown me that this voyage will end in great disaster of not only the ship, but the lives of the men. So you should not actually sail. You should stay here for the winter. Then go in the spring. The ship's captain was not able to hear that, and he's under pressure from the Roman soldiers that are under pressure to get him to Rome. So if you will, the ship's captain gives in to the things of men rather than the things of God, and the ship's captain sets sail, and they're hardly underway until they run into one of the most awful storms that any human being has ever seen. They run into this nor'easter that begins, uh, they are tossed at a certain point, they just, they literally cut the rudder loose to just let, you know, the, the wind and the waves take them wherever they will. Just, just because fighting the storm was, was in danger of breaking up the ship. So just let the ship go. Just let it, let it blow us like a cork wherever we go. And, you know. In the middle of that storm, Paul walks up to the ship's captain and he reminds him. He said, you should have listened to me. But nevertheless... An angel of the Lord has stood by me tonight and he has given me the life of every soul on this ship. So it changed. No one will be harmed but the ship. We'll lose the ship. Everything on the ship. We'll lose it all. But we'll not lose one soul. Then he encourages them to eat because they hadn't eaten. So they have a meal together and they throw everything overboard, and they just commit themselves to the wind and waves and the will of God, and they they made it. Short version, they made it. Everyone survived. No one was lost. And and I, I feel like that we're in a season like that. There may be some things that don't survive this storm, but I feel like that every soul that clings to their faith in Jesus Christ will make it to the other side. You, your families, your children, your grandchildren, we're going to make it to the other side. But there will be a decision that I think that we have to make between here and there. And that is, will you listen? Will we choose the interest and the things of God or the things of men? And I'm going to tell you, that's not, that's not easy to do. I think that we need to make a decision where we say, by the grace of God from this point forward, I'm going to commit myself to doing the things of God. I'm going to just all in, all chips over there in that corner. I'm going to go with God. And then there'll be days where it's going to be hard to decide which one is which, you know. So, and it's in, in those moments when you just have to continue in the direction that he sent you in. Continue in that direction. I hope this is connecting. I hope it's making sense right now. I really feel the spirit on this. There is something that is so crucial for you and I. So let's go back to Matthew 16. By the way, I'm not predicting that the glory of God's going to come 
on Easter, you know, Resurrection Sunday. But I'm telling you what, I plan on celebrating my heart out. Come wind or wave, storm or whatever, I plan on celebrating like Jesus is Lord. Okay. But I will tell you, I think that a lot can happen in three weeks. So, yeah, exactly. Three weeks and three days. Three weeks or three days. So here's where we started in this verse. It says, from that time. What time was that? Well, the time was the thing that just had happened, uh, the thing that was happening that was monumental. And this is one of those things where Matthew said, you need to know this. And that's when Jesus takes his apostles, his disciples, takes them aside, and he asks them, who are the people saying I am? Now, he's not asking that because Jesus doesn't know. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. What Jesus was actually uh, aiming for is what they thought he was. So if we read the parallel to this in, in John's account, and I, I love the Gospel of John because it's really all about, it's John telling you how he came to faith and why you should have faith. And like everything is moving towards that. So that his Gospel is, is lengthened and truncated. It's lengthened in, in the whole thing about believing in Jesus, but it's shortened in the three weeks of Jesus' death. But if we read John's account of this, when, when we read from him, we'll see that, that the whole time what Jesus was working toward, even though he brought the kingdom and even though he showed a, a better way, even though he was working towards an end and a goal, the primary thing that Jesus was doing was equipping 12 men. The primary thing he was doing was equipping 12 men. So he equips 12 men, and he goes to the cross. Debt's paid at the cross. Lives can be transformed. He needs 12 men to continue where he leaves off, which, by the way, that's us now today. Started with 12. They lost one. They replaced him. And now all Jesus has is you and me. That's all he's got. That's all he needs, though. That's all he needs. Unless... We're at that place where his disciples were, where they were not decided in their hearts who Jesus was. I mean, they loved him, and they would have died for him. And I think that you could have get the, got the guys, if you pull them aside and say, who do you think he is? They probably would have said, well, some say <laughs> he's John the Baptist. Some, you know, I think that they were a little, a little unsure. But when Jesus points to them and asks them, who do they say that he is? Then that's when Peter gets this revelation in the moment, and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're Messiah. You're God's son, which makes you divine. That was Peter's revelation, and in, in that that revelation there propelled the church for the first of the move of God 
Peter, or Paul would come along and he would truncate that version for Gentiles to be Jesus is Lord. And just like when Jesus said to Peter that flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but his Father who is in heaven, he's revealed that to you. Uh, so he's saying, Peter, you're a nice guy, but you didn't think of that on your own. You got that information from my dad. Because that's the way my dad talks. And then Jesus, what he does is, you know, he begins building on that. And, and after he's resurrected, after Paul, after Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the apostle, and as he begins to write, he begins saying to Gentiles, here's the way you say it, Jesus is Lord. You're the son of the living God, and you are the Christ, the Messiah. Those two things blended together, Jesus is Lord. So Jesus looks at Peter, and he tells him that, um, that now let me, let me say who you are. You are a rock. So now you, you know who I am, and based on knowing who Jesus is, having that conviction, now let me tell you who you are, who you really are. And then he begins to use the imagery of a rock. And, and then out of that, Jesus says, and on this rock, and I understand why the Catholic Church would say on Peter, I understand that, but good, good um, actually, uh, good interpretation of the scripture would, would show us that the church never tried to build their, their foundation on Peter. He was, he was integral to the message, and he was a tremendous leader in the church, but they understood that when Jesus was saying this, it's on this rock, what rock? That thing that you just confessed, that confession that, that Jesus is the Christ and he's the son of the living God, on that confession, the church, well, he said, I'll build it. So by the way, if men build it, it's not Jesus' church. So all we can do, really, and it's, it's, it's a lot, but all we can do is confess what, what Peter confessed. If we confess that Jesus is the Christ and he's the son of the living God, that's enough for the Holy Spirit to transform a human heart. And when God transforms a human heart, then people are added to the church. <clears throat> so the church then becomes really the, the vehicle for extending the kingdom that Jesus brought. So Jesus said, by the way, on the way out the door, let me just give you the keys to the kingdom. And then he says, and we've read it so many times in King James or heard it so many times in older translations, it re we read it this way, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. But all of our modern translations say, no, no, actually it's more accurate to say whatever you bind on earth having been bound in heaven, then heaven will bind whatever you bind. And whatever you loosed on earth having been loosed in heaven then heaven will loose it, which is basically saying this, that if in heaven there's no more tears, there's no more death, there's no more dying, fears and crying, etc., etc., um, those are things that are legitimate for the church to say, wait a second, in heaven there's no cancer. So in Jesus' name, I come against cancer. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of how it works, but I, I, I want to add it's much broader to that. You know, we know that in heaven, that everybody, 
is devoted to Jesus Christ and passionate, alert, and alive, alive, awake, more alive than they've ever been. So if it's something other than that on the earth, when the church begins to pray, which by the way, here's the answer to the mess we're in, when the church gathers together and begins to pray and saying, wait a second, in heaven there isn't racism, there isn't all the isms, that's not in heaven. So we begin to pray against all of that and, and knowing that heaven actually has uh, bound those things or he has loosed people. And so when we begin to do that, that's how the kingdom is advanced. So the church becomes the church by action of the Holy Spirit whenever people share the testimony of Jesus Christ. He builds the church. Then when the church begins to pray, when we begin to worship, when we begin to intercede, when we begin to preach and teach and share and do all the things that we do in Jesus' name, then God advances the kingdom. So I just want to tell you, that I needed a drink. <clears throat> just want to tell you that God is actually going to transform the earth and everything in it. I'm not sure exactly how we get from here to there, but I'm going to tell you the job that he gave the church to do is not busy work until he comes. It's real work. Share your testimony. Share your confession that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And watch it transform hearts and lives. <clears throat> we just ran into it again yesterday at the food pantry got to work with such wonderful people there and then we had 13 wonderful students who joined us and they were just a hoot I had so much fun with them and uh, John and Roxanne there and helped us and and we were able we were able to um, be open and minister to people and uh, we're ministering to the a lot of the regular crowd that we'd normally see but then there's this one man that walked in one man walked in first time there and we heard his story. We heard what he's up against. I listened to him with my heart. And as I listened to him with my heart, I said, do you mind if we pray with you before you leave? And his face lit up. It's like, that would be wonderful, you know. And um, so John prayed with him, and I haven't actually got the update on all of that, but we know that that God is changing lives and transforming lives as we share our testimony, as we share this confession. So that's what was happening is Jesus is actually saying to his disciples, you need to make a decision. First of all, who am I? Secondly, once you get that and you're all in, then are you going to follow me? If you're going to follow me, then here's the keys to the kingdom. Take them, use them. Don't just sit on them. Don't Put them in a safe place where you won't lose them. Take them and use them. That's what he gave the church responsibility for. That's what was happening. So the, for Jesus to have shared what he shared sounded like to the disciples, and especially to Peter, that something very bad was going to happen. Something very negative was going to happen. And so Je uh, when Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him, and he starts out by saying, God forbid. In other words, I'm forbidding it. I am not letting you go to Jerusalem. Jesus, 
I mean, you just be Jesus, but let me tell you something. You give me a sword and I'll protect you. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. I'm not going to let anyone harm you. So can we just skip going to Jerusalem this year? You know, like maybe next year would be safer for us to go. Skip it this year. Forget it this year. Don't do um, that. That would be foolish. And, and, and you know, I've, heard, I've had people tell me this, and I understand it. Like I remember this one guy come to me, and he said, Pastor Rich, he said, why don't you stick to pastoring and let me do the drywalling? You know, which was his way of saying, I really messed up the drywall, you know. And now he had to fix it. So I can do drywall. I can hear Peter saying, hey, look, I can, I'm tough fisherman. I can do protection detail. I can protect you. I, I've got, a, a, you know, AR-15s in my house. I can protect us. And Jesus, of course, is thinking, well, first of all, you have no idea what you're up against. And secondly, Believe it or not, this is in the purpose and the will of God. So sometimes negative things are in the will of God. Tricky part is discerning when to bind and when to loose. And when to sit down and shut up and say, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to just worship, which itself is an act of warfare. Okay, so... That being said, I just want to take a look for a moment at that decision. First of all, I know you're probably like me. How could Peter be so influenced by God in one minute and then the next minute be so influenced by what Jesus, who's not known for hyperbole, you know, um, Jesus identified as none other than the spirit of Satan behind Peter. How can that happen? How can that happen? And I know that there's someone who's going to like, you know, kind of raise the evangelical hand and say, well, they were not born again yet, you know, not technically born again yet. And I, I get that. I'm just going to say that I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there is no one born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, who is exempt from spiritual pressures, especially if our attention is on the things of men. The only way that spiritual men and women stay spiritual in a confusing time like we're in is by keeping our focus on the things of God. That is not to say that we focus on God, God and we sing Kumbaya and ignore the rest of the world. That's not to say that. I have to be clear on that. I'm just saying that when people are drugged down by their fears and confusion and they're hearing stuff and they're following that and it all makes perfect sense, that I, I'm just going to say, excuse me, I don't have to go there. I, I, I don't have to go there. I'll never forget uh, Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown uh, involved heavily involved in the Brownsville revival when I was able to go to that revival and I was able to take a class and Michael Brown taught it and he looked at uh, the audience as he was teaching and he was trying to help people to understand how that God can choose a place and decide to fall in great power 
and it would be wise to travel there and to be there because when God's moving some area that it's, it's probably wise to get there if you can. He was going through that kind of thing and then he started sharing some stories and things that were happening in the revival and especially the things that were more controversial. And then he said this thing that I'll never forget. He looked at the audience and he said, brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say to me, you guys are out of your minds. You're absolutely out of your mind. You're just crazy. You've gone too far. You're too somewhere else and too God-focused or centered or whatever. And Michael Brown said every time he heard that, you know, even though it hurts so desperately to hear someone say that, because no one wants to hear that, you know, that our passion for Jesus made us cross a line. No one wants to hear that, really. I hope not. And Michael Brown said that the Lord began to share with him a response. And the response is this. When they say to you that you're out of your mind, then you should look back at them and say, no, no, sir, I'm not out of my mind. I'm out of your mind. I've got my mind in the mind of Christ. I'm trying to think his thoughts. I'm trying to follow his ways. I'm trying to prioritize the things of God, not the things of man. So sometimes you just kind of live with a mystery, right? So it's hard to say. Sometimes when you see a spiritual manifestation, can you say that's clearly of God or not? And if it's not clearly of God, then where did it come from? You know, I get that. I understand that. But brothers and sisters, I'm just going to tell you something. I would much rather have a group of people just say, we are all out for Jesus. We're all in. And we want to fix our things on the things of God, fix our mind on the things of God, and, and as much as is possible to not be focused on the things of men. This is a time, brothers and sisters, for more scripture, more meditation, more alone time, more quiet time, less um, plugged in, more unplugged. We, we really need more times where God can speak to us uh, very, very precisely and quietly. And I'm going to just tell you that it's getting even more confusing and hard because there are many Christian organizations, ministries, and others, you know, that we would normally just heartily agree with and stuff, you know. But, you know, they can get distracted too. We can get Let's Let's just not go there. Let's just not get to a place where we're so focused on the things of men that we've lost the things of God. I think that's the decision. So, um, if we just step back for a second, I can just almost hear the Spirit of God kind of laying it down this way. Peter, the rest of you apostles, I'm ready to loose you on the world. And I promise you, you're not going to be orphans. My spirit, the Father, will pour into you. So you'll follow me by following him, okay? 
I give you my word. Hold on to my word. Follow the spirit. And then here's the deal. Whatever you bind on the earth, it having been bound in heaven, I will bind in heaven. And whatever you loose on the earth, it having been loosed in heaven, I will loose in heaven. And then I feel like that the thing that wasn't written, but it's inferred in the English language is, any questions? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this. On this truth, I'll build my church. Keys to the kingdom, there they are. Any questions? I feel like that's where it's at. And it's, that, it's in that moment that Matthew tells us from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. That he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests. And for those of you who are scholars, chief priest, capital, I mean a small S on the end of that, there was never more than one chief priest. There was two chief priests in Jesus' day. It was so corrupt. He would suffer many things from those elders and from the chief priests and the scribes, and he would be killed, but he would be raised again on the third day. From that time on. If you were to do what we will do in the next two weeks is that next, next week would be Palm Sunday, the week after that, Resurrection Sunday. If you read Matthew 16 and 17 and 18 and right on through up until the crucifixion and the resurrection, you're going to see that time and time and time again, Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, they're going to kill me, and I'll be raised again. Any questions? Time and time again. So we like to say it that there was the three years of ministry where Jesus was a rock star. He was loved by everybody. And it was the, in the last six months everything started to fall apart. What had happened from the beginning to the end? Uh, two things. One is the, the serpent, Satan, realized who Jesus was and assaulted the ministry. Second thing that happened was that, uh, you know, Jesus was becoming more pointed in what it cost to follow him. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to just tell you today that um, Jesus did not put a expiration date on this, this event. Jesus looked up beyond Peter to the rest of the people. He says, anyone wishing to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And by the way, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you're willing to lose your life, God will give it back to you. And then just to make sure that we completely understood, he said, what profit would it gain a man? if he were to work 
have children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, earn a living, pay his bills, buy a few things, and enjoy life. What if a man gained all of the world that he could in his lifetime, but lost his soul? What would be the problem? Understand that two weeks ago, maybe three, the uh, owner of Amazon, or was it Elon? I think it was Elon Musk, made $25 million, $25 billion in one day in the stock market. $25 billion won't buy your soul. It won't buy you love. It won't buy you happiness. Boy, it'd buy a lot of things, though. I hear the Spirit just impressing on my mind right now. On this rock, I'll build my church. And here's the keys to the kingdom. I hear the Spirit of God saying to us, what, what will it be? Will your mindset be on the things of God or the things of men? Any questions? I hear the Spirit of God saying that what if you gained the whole world? lost your soul, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Any questions? Would you please stand up with me? I feel that this moment is a crucial one because in my experience, I've just learned that the longer I walk with Jesus, the sweeter the love and the relationship grows. And as a matter of fact, because we're pursuing things in the love of God and for the love of God, that the love of God helps us to make those hard choices and decisions. We will do them for love when we wouldn't do them for any other thing. So I will tell you, to be honest with you, the longer I've lived with the Lord Jesus, the less he allows me to get away with sloppy living and the more he expects that I walk in the way of love as well. Right? I guess that's natural. I guess that's natural. Would I ask Judy to marry me and pledge myself to her for the rest of my life and then as we age say maybe I want a younger wife now I wouldn't do that would I a better wife 
And I feel like that that's, the, that's kind of the crux to this whole thing right now is that the Lord is asking, if I have saved you, if I have redeemed you, if you've ever seen a blessing from being in relationship with me, then once it gets older, would you go for another younger version? God help us if God ever says I look at my bride and I'm so done with her I would rather have another bride than this one I would much rather that Judy and I just learn how to grow deeper in our love as we get older as the relationship gets older that we would learn how to change and adapt to that and I would love to see the church be able to adapt to what it means to love God 2,000 years on, 2021. That's why I'm saying decision 2021. 2,000 years ago, the church made a decision and it has blessed us today. And I feel like that God has brought us to the place where he's saying to you and to me, can the church make that decision again today? Will you practice self-denial? Will you embrace the cross, not despising its shame? Will you pick up that cross and follow me wherever it takes you, wherever it leads you, wherever I lead you? Will you pay the price or the cost Whatever it is that love demands, will you be the church? Any questions? Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this hour and the opportunity that we have. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just share this message among those who have, I have so much love and respect for. Among those, Lord Jesus, who are my friends, they're my family, they're brothers and sisters indeed. They're gracious and wonderful people. But, oh God, do not ever let this love grow old. Do not ever let this love grow old. Oh God, do not ever let this love grow old. With passion and zeal, may we, as we live our lives, make the decision to be all in with the things of God and to let go of the things of the world, things of men, so that we might be able carry the love and the passion that the church needs to carry in this day and this age. It's never been harder than this to, to love the broken and the hurting and the needy and the poor and the bleeding starving for Jesus the afflicted the addicted the oppressed possessed it's never been harder than this to love. So Father I'm asking that you would help us today with all our heart to renew ourselves to this decision.